And this is John chapter 10, verses 1 to 18. And you can find it on page 1086 of your Pew Bibles. I tell you the truth. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. All who enter through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Jill. Uh, this month, Anissa has launched an initiative for us to have a monthly prayer focus for different people on their different front lines. And this month, month of October, is for those in agriculture and fisheries. 
It's something that we're praying for, for those who are involved specifically in those areas. That's where they spend their day-to-day working life. So I want you to imagine that you're a farmer. And I want you to imagine that you're recruiting for the job of a shepherd. And you're sitting there at your desk and you're writing out a job advert. What would you put in that advert as the requirements that you want for your shepherd? Maybe you must be somebody who's trustworthy. Probably you must enjoy an outdoor life. You must be able to work on your own. And I dare say somewhere you must like sheep. Well, David was probably caring for his sheep when he wrote Psalm 23. And as he was caring for his sheep and as he was thinking about what he was doing for them, it reminded him of what God was doing for him. And so it's from that first verse in Psalm 23 that we get this name for God, Jehovah Roy, the Lord is my shepherd. And today we're going to see two things that God as our shepherd does for us. The first thing is that he protects us. And the second thing is that by speaking to us, he leads us. Now, the idea of God as our shepherd is something that's rooted deep in the Old Testament. You may know the words of Psalm 95, verse 7. He is our God, and we are, his, we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. But the context of the discussion in John 10 is between Jesus and the Pharisees, who are the failed shepherds of Israel. And so in the Pharisees' minds, as Jesus talks about being the shepherd of the flock, he is referring back to a long passage in Ezekiel 36. In even Ezekiel 34, if you want to check up. Sorry, Ezekiel 34. God is speaking to the leaders of Israel. And he's telling them that he has put his trust in them, but they have failed in their duty of care for the flock. God's people. And God has got so frustrated with them that God has said he is going to remove them as shepherds for Israel. And in their place, he himself is going to be the shepherd of Israel. And so in John 10, that's exactly the situation between Jesus and the Pharisees. And back in Ezekiel 34, God says these words. In verse 23, he says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and he will be their shepherd. Now, if you've got your chronology right, you're thinking, who's this one David who's going to be over them? Because King David's already been dead 400 years by the time of Ezekiel's writing. But of course, it's a prophecy of Jesus, the good shepherd. So that's the background, and that brings us here to John chapter 10. And Jesus is standing in front of the Pharisees, those failed shepherds of Israel, 
They've just witnessed Jesus healing a blind man and they don't believe. And Jesus starts to tell them, there's only one way into the kingdom of God and it's through the gate. Who is the gate? I am the gate. And then Jesus moves the analogy on a bit and he says that he is the shepherd of the sheep. He is that promised David that Ezekiel spoke about, that God would send. It's the fulfillment. He is the fulfillment of that prophecy. So if Jesus is the good shepherd, how is he different from the shepherds that have gone before? And I want to focus on two sections in John chapter 10 as we look at this. And the first is verses 3 and 4. And we read there that the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice and he leads them and they follow. And then in verses 14 and 15, we read that Jesus protects the sheep. He protects them from harm by laying down his own life. This summer, I fulfilled an ambition that I've held for many, many years. I actually saw the Matterhorn with my own eyes, that iconic mountain in the Swiss Alps. And it's infinitely more impressive than the photographs that you've seen of it. It towers over Zermatt and over everything around it. It's majestic, it's massive, it's very, very steep. And from our hotel balcony with a pair of binoculars, I could just see that halfway up the western ridge, the western ridge, on this impossibly steep-sided mountain, somebody has put what I can only describe as a garden shed. It's perched there in this crevice where there is actually nowhere to stand. And somehow they've drilled this garden shed into this unrelentingly exposed and vertical mountain. Whoever opens the door of that garden shed has got a one-mile drop in front of them straight down. And there, by some miracle of engineering, sits the Solvay Hut, a refuge on the mountain. So for those intrepid climbers... As terrified, they hang on to the icy side of this mountain. They've laboured all day, up sheer slopes, in freezing temperatures, howling winds, swirling snow. The sight of this garden shed must come as a huge relief. It's a place that they can draw breath. Their numb fingers don't need to hang on just for those few minutes. They can thaw them out. They can sit down. They could even lie down. They can escape from what are the most hostile conditions on the face of our planet. God, Psalm 46, is our refuge and strength. A very present help in time of trouble. That's what the good shepherd does. He is a refuge for the sheep. He is a protector. He is a place they can go and feel safety amongst hostility and unspeakable things. And how does the Good Shepherd protect us? 
He protects us by laying down his own life. He is the one that positions himself between his sheep and harm. The danger is there, but the danger cannot touch the sheep because the saviour, the shepherd, is in the way. It was the cross of Calvary that was God's rescue plan for us. That's where it reached its fulfilment. And the good shepherd died that the sheep might live. That's where the power of sin and death was defeated. And that's where Christ rose victorious. As Paul says, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. So that's the first thing that the good shepherd does. The Lord is my shepherd. He is my eternal protector. He is my refuge. And secondly, the good shepherd speaks and the sheep follow. If your view of shepherding has been formed by watching one man and his dog on telly, you've got a little bit of unlearning to do this morning. Because you might think that a shepherd is characterised by some guy standing in the corner of the field with a whistle shouting, Away! Come by! And a lovely sheepdog running circles around these sheep, corralling them into a pen. It's not really what Jesus has in mind. In the Middle East, the shepherd doesn't corral the sheep. He walks in front of the sheep and he calls them. And the sheep recognize his voice and they follow. Those who aren't his sheep don't recognize the voice, so they don't follow. So the way we see ownership of sheep in the Middle East isn't by paint-sprayed numbers on the side of the wool. It's because the sheep follow the shepherd. They hear his voice and recognize it. And what is the desire of the shepherd? What's the purpose the shepherd has for the sheep? Well, it's to take them to good grazing. He wants them to be nourished, to flourish. It's not good enough for a shepherd just to keep sheep from starving. He wants them to live. He wants them to have life in all its fullness. Have you ever been given one of those questionnaires which asks you to mark things from one to ten? One being useless, ten being brilliant. I used to write some of those. If this morning I asked you about how full your life is, one to ten, one is totally empty, ten is overflowingly full, I wonder where your life is this morning on that scale. And then if the follow-up question is, what could make it better? Maybe the first thing that's tempted to go through our mind is, I could do with a bit more money. Perhaps a bit less stress. A bit more of a supportive family. Maybe a better church. But actually, none of these things would help us to get life in all its fullness. Because only Jesus can do that. And it only comes when we hear his voice and we followed him. 
Now, I've mentioned one man and his dog a few moments ago, and I have a confession to make. And I think this confession will probably get me into big trouble with the clergy here. Not for the first time. But I have to confess I'm not a great dog lover. Well, actually, it's not the dogs so much that I don't like. It's owners who find it that they're unable to take responsibility for their dogs. I'm not really a fan of dogs that come up to me with muddy paws and jump up and soil my clothing. I'm not really a fan of dogs that come up and nudge me in places that nobody else would dare to do. <laughs> I'm never really convinced that their owners would like me to do that to them. And I notice that dog owners sort of fall into two categories. The first are those who call their dogs and instantly the dog obeys. And the second are those who've been unsuccessful in getting their animals to obey them. And sometimes you can hear them hoarsely shouting in vain as their dogs disappear over the horizon. And breathlessly they catch up with them as they're nuzzling you and they say to them, you naughty dog. And as you're being mauled by their pooch, they tell you, he's only trying to be friendly. I think I'm probably a bit in over my neck already on this, so I won't continue by lightening the wonderful congregation of God's people to dogs. Or by lightening God to being a horse owner who's shouting at us. But I think you probably get the picture of what it's like for something that's unresponsive to its master's voice. Maybe to make amends, Johnny, you could just put up the next. This is obviously a lovely pooch who loves to listen to his master's voice. And so I don't get into trouble with other constituencies. I better say that other record labels are available. <laughs> Back to the main slide, if you would, Johnny. So often our problem is that we don't hear God's voice. We don't recognize it when God is speaking to us because he doesn't shout. He speaks to us gently. God's sheep recognize his voice over the big hubbub of life. They hear that small voice. Now, you might say to yourself, I've never heard the voice of God. I don't know what Nigel's talking about. When does God speak to me? I think what I'd say is, well, how about now? Maybe God is speaking to you now. As we hear God's word, God is speaking to us. And what do we do when we hear that voice? Do we take it in and does it affect our life? Or do we just walk out of the door and go on to do the next thing that's in our diary? If we don't stop and listen to God, then it's not because he's not speaking, it's because we're not listening. But God gives us a gift. Part of the Godhead Trinity is the Holy Spirit. And he is given as God's gift to us so that we can hear God's prompting. And when we're prompted by God, 
the Holy Spirit interprets to us what God is asking of us. If you've never heard the voice of God in your life, it usually starts with a prompting. A prompting that something isn't right. Back in the old days, we used to call that conviction of sin. But simply what it means is we get a sense in our souls that something's not right. We may not know what it is. We may not know that it's because we've got a broken relationship with God. But we feel uncomfortable. We feel guilty. The symptoms of that are that we are restless. We're not at peace. We're eaten up by something that needs to be sorted out and put right, but we're not really sure what it is. And what it is, is it's God knocking at the door, ringing the bell, dialing our number. You know that lovely Holman Hunt painting of Christ, the light of the world, knocking on the door. That's what's happening when God starts to speak to us. And we can do two things. We can ignore him. We can just leave him standing there. Or we can open the door and let him in. And letting God in and opening the door isn't, isn't something that's frightening. God isn't some trick-or-treat artist who's going to throw a surprise at us. He's not coming to bother us. He is the shepherd who is coming to give us life, life in all its fullness. So what does God expect from us when he speaks? First thing is he wants us to understand, to discern that it's his voice that is speaking to us. Do you remember the young Samuel in the temple with Eli? He heard the voice of God, but he didn't know what he was listening to. And Eli had to tell him, that's God speaking to you. So God speaks to us when we hear his word, when we read his word. God speaks to us through other Christians as they talk to us and counsel us and advise us. God might speak to you through something you've read in Christ Church Life, or a book you're reading, or something you read in the Bible, or as you pray. If you listen to God speak, then a seed is planted in your heart which will grow, and it will cause holy discontent until you do what God is calling you to do. So if I haven't heard God speak to me, what sort of things might I expect him to say? Well, right at the beginning, you will get this disorientation, this dissatisfaction, as the Holy Spirit starts the process of speaking into your life, inviting you to open that door, to let Jesus in. And when you say to Jesus, yes, come in, I'm sorry I've excluded you, from my life and I filled it with other things Jesus I want to turn my life around and I want to reject the values and the practices and the things that prevented me from having you in my life and I want a relationship with you once Jesus comes into your life he's going to start to speak to you about changing things bit by bit like peeling an onion layer by layer, sometimes with tears, but he'll talk to you about the values you've got. 
He'll talk to you about the ambitions you hold, about the priorities you live by, about what you say and the way you say it, the way you act, the things you do. He will help you reorder your life as he wants you to recognise that you're now living not for yourself, but for him. So the aspirations you used to have for yourself get replaced by desires to please and to, and to serve God. He'll challenge you about your interests, your hobbies, how you use your time, how you spend your money. He'll encourage you to follow his example in serving others and not yourself. He'll want you to use your gifts and talents and resources, not for yourself, but for building his kingdom. He'll want you to start speaking less about you and more about him. He'll want you to build and strengthen the faith in others, to nurture and support those who need help. He'll want you to take your place in his church, to worship him, to glorify him as head of the church. And he'll want to talk to you about sacrifice. Yes, sacrifice. If we are to become more Christ-like, we'll begin to emulate the things that he was, that he is, that he does. That might involve being unpopular for him, being servant-hearted for him, subjecting our needs to the needs of others for him. So when you say, what will God speak to me about? Those are the things that God speaks to us about. But we're all individuals, we're all different, and God speaks differently into each of our lives in a different way. But we're all faced with the same question. Are we able and willing to listen? Are we able and willing to follow the voice of our shepherd? Are we able and willing to let him lead us? Remember, the good shepherd isn't selfish. He isn't vindictive. He isn't dismissive of his sheep. He laid down his life that we might have life in all its fullness. So his purposes for us are to do us good. If we're honest, listening to the voice of God is not easy. Sometimes we have to wrestle because there are other voices we hear which say no. They want to pull us back. Want to hold us down. And we need the power of our almighty God to help us win that wrestling match. To overcome those voices. To leave behind those things that would harm us. It was only three words that Jesus said to Peter and to Andrew. He said this, he said, come, follow me. And at once they left their nets and followed him. So listening to Jesus and following him, it's not complex. 
It's actually simple. But it's something we need to say yes to. So in a moment of reflection, I want us to listen to what the Good Shepherd is saying to me this morning. What is the thing he's calling you to do? Is he calling you to open that door and let him in? Is he asking you to rid yourself of something? Is he wanting you to do something that you've been resisting? Do you have the courage to respond to him, Lord, yes, I will? I'd like to ask the music group to come back up and for us just to pray before Anita leads us in a couple of songs. Father, we pray this morning that the voice that you have been speaking to us in this morning would be a voice that we recognize and that we obey. Lord, forgive us for our selfishness, our sinfulness, our intransigence. Lord, I pray this morning that what you are asking as our shepherd, we will say yes to. That we will do and be those people that experience life in all its fullness because we have heard the voice of the shepherd and we have followed. Father, we pray for the gift of courage this morning, not only to hear your voice, but to say, yes, Lord, I will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.